Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome back to the Indian Religions Podcast on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Dr. Raj Balkaran. Today, I have a very special guest, uh, Dominic Haas, who's a, a doc fellow at the Austrian Academy of Sciences, also a PhD candidate at the University of Vienna. And we're talking about a very important topic, uh, certainly for the Academy, for the public, certainly very important to Dominic. We're talking about publishing open access publishing and we'll be talking about a very special initiative that dominic is part of uh dominic welcome to the podcast thank you thank you very much raj for inviting me that's very it's very nice my pleasure so just for people who may be more in a general audience what is this whole issue like what is this uh, open access what are the problems with publishing like what's going on yeah, that is a very big question uh, because there was an entire history behind it. Um, but I'll try to sum it up as easily as possible and as briefly. Um, so the issue is, um, as, as uh, most of us know, um, PDFs are easily shared and available. Um, so in theory, um, scholarly articles could be easily made, be made available to everybody and just be downloaded on the internet. And um, that, in theory, should be easily possible. Uh, however, this did not, uh, this wasn't the case like years ago, of course, when um, scholarly articles and books were being sold just as other books and, and, and uh, journal articles and magazines. Um, and back then, um, these things were bought in paper. So um, that was quite all right, but then now we had, do have the internet and now um, publishers still sold their papers. However, um, it took a rather unfortunate direction because they also started to uh, raise their prices. So the, the prices for uh, scholarly publications became um, tremendously high. Are unaffordable by more for most of the world's population, actually. So, um, on the one side, you have the internet, which is easily an, a, a perfect tool for distributing knowledge. On the other hand, we have this trend of making um, scholarly knowledge inaccessible by raising uh, the prices. Um, now, the thing is, uh, many libraries could. Uh, still afford to buy the publications and some private individuals maybe as well um, because um, they also had to buy it because uh, libraries obviously have an, have a demand even a, an order to uh, you know like buy all all the, the scholars need so they just went with it and paid it and this went on and on and on um, until it led to an, uh, a veritable crisis in academic publishing. And um, the open access movement, of course, uh, arose in opposition to this development. 
And the basic idea of this uh, movement, which involves a lot of people and institutions and initiatives and programs, is to simply uh, make the, the publications, the scholarly research, research uh, available for free, openly available for free for, to those who, as a rule, have paid it, that is, the taxpaying public. So that is the central concern of the open access movement in, in, in uh, academic publishing. Thank you for, for giving us the lay of the land so folks understand. So just to bring it home a bit. So, for example, uh, much like Dominic, uh, I'm a scholar of, uh, of, of uh, Indic studies, you know, I study Sanskrit narrative texts. And in my particular case, I finished my, my doctorate in 2015, um, up to which point I had access to my university's um, sources, right? They're a fantastic library at, at Calgary, also at the University of Toronto. Phenomenal world-class libraries, right? Every new source you could think of in your field is there or accessible thereby. But leaving an institution in my case, what does one do as an independent scholar, for example, in terms of finding sources, tracking down sources, Um and that's not just for people in in my particular position, but also people at institutions uh, with more limited library facilities. Or, hello, the pandemic. You know, folks can't even go in for months on end. Yeah. And so, uh, is it fair to say? Would you? Um, I have a number of questions. I was trying to. Th- uh, I do this on the fly, and I was trying to think of the the. the the best order to to talk about it, but let's touch briefly on the pandemic, and then we'll move on to 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 bigger picture. Do you think the pandemic has accelerated, exasperated, has affected this movement in any way? Well, I mean, I do hope so. Um, one 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 thing about it is that um, you know, just with uh, many other things, you only know about it after it has happened. So we will see. Whether they uh, whether the number of OA publications has increased uh, um, since the start of the pandemic, what has certainly increased is of course the demand for open access publications, because um, people uh, often worked from home; they didn't go to the library, so uh, everybody basically wanted to have everything online. Um, I mean, I, I guess you and I both, both know this from personal experience. Uh, if you want to look up something, you just want to, to basically Google it and have the text. So, and that demand certainly increased uh, during the pandemic. Um, with regard to the, uh, the general development, um, I mean, it's really difficult to have an overview and to keep an eye on all this. Um, but there have also already been important steps, at least in Europe, since uh, 2018, when the um, so-called Coalition S was started, uh, whose aim was to implement uh, fair, uh, open access on a, on a wide basis until the end of, no, until this very year, 2021. And so organizations joining this, this uh, coalition uh, they, you know, put it upon themselves uh, to to only fund open access uh, until a certain date, though uh, contracts vary from case to case. So that was already there before the pandemic. So the the, the movement already got going before it. 
Um, I'm quite certain, though, that it now now also scholars, and that is an important thing, is that now also scholars understand the begin to understand the importance of open access better than perhaps before. So, um, when publishing, say, scholarly publications, for example, if 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 one goes to a list of publications of mine on my website, you'll see some are book chapters, which require the purchase of a book, perhaps. Um, there is one there that is um, from the journal Religions that's open access. So say a bit about options. Do people have options when they're publishing to either choose to do open access or not? Um, well, uh, ideally, yes. And indeed, there are options. However, this the entire open access landscape or publishing landscape is really um, bewildering uh, and even to, to scholars. So from my experience, there are quite a lot who um, so, um, don't really have a you know, good grasp actually of the, of the publishing landscape as it were. Um, they, they of course know about important publishers, prestigious publishers. They know about the journals. But the mechanics behind it uh, often remain in the dark. And this is also a thing that uh, becomes important when talking about open access because there are aspects that are deliberately being uh, left in the dark. So as regards um, options, um, yeah, if you want to publish open access, I mean, uh, there are many opportunities and here one can has to distinguish between several types of open access. Uh, in particular, like regular open access and also what uh, we call and others have called uh, fair open access. Because there are uh, regular uh, publishers, uh, legacy publishers, so to say, um, that also have now begun to offer open access. So they do both. They, they, on the one hand, they sell the publications and some of them they uh, make available for free. To the public, however, and here comes the thing that is uh, often uh, being left in the dark. Um, they do, of course, demand the money they they lose from not selling the the publication. So, and they want this from the authors, from the author, or from the author's institution. Um, and as a matter of fact, there are even agreements between universities and other institutions who. Um, are willing to to pay these losses as a way uh, in a way and um, so and that you do not even know without asking uh, how much money your institution paid to the publisher uh, to get your your uh, book chapter or your book or your uh, your your journal article published and that is a bit of a dangerous thing because you can have open access without actually changing the system of, of uh, profiteering, because there is a lot of profiteering. And uh, so one has to be a bit careful about it. Um, there are this, not all, not all that is open access is automatically good in every respect. I mean, it's anyway, it's clearly better than paywalls. That, that's for sure. But there are also certain pitfalls one has to uh, avoid ideally. So then for the sake of discussion, is the ultimate goal or objective um, rendering accessible uh, scholarship, 
or is it addressing, as you call, profiteering or the mechanics of publication as is? Or would you say both? How would you prioritize that? Well, in my view, uh, certainly both in the long run. Uh, in the long term, it has to be both because, and that is the, the important thing, we're actually we're talking about, in most cases, we're talking about uh, tax money here. So, um, and that, I think, should not be, you know, paid in vain. And uh, another aspect is the same money could be used for, for researchers, you know. So, um, in the long run, I think this, uh, the profiteering, it should be, the, it really should be reduced. There should be taken measures against it and one should think about it. Um, because when you publish uh, in, a, in a journal, um, which demands in, extremely high uh, fees for, for, for you know, publishing your, 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 your paper, then actually, and your institution pays it, then actually um, you, the, the, the same money you could have used, could have been used for you and your work for another project. So that is really a, a big issue. Um, and I think in the long term, this is uh, even more important. Um, open access is faster than, is easier, easier to realize than uh, fair open access, than, you know, getting rid of the profiteering. So, but still uh, very good because, um, I mean, clearly open access is important, especially to those who don't have the money. And as I said, most people on earth, and uh, in the case of South Asian studies, this is particularly uh, striking, um, they could never afford, uh, many, many Indians, for instance, could never afford, um, you know, buying books on end or, or articles about south asian history or culture and that is not a good thing in any respect and here it is especially especially striking i think yeah it's so interesting to hear you speak about that distinction um so the podcast itself in many ways the the impetus behind the podcast is to render accessible at least the general takeaways from publications right the, this project of well people should know what are in these books and 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 what you're talking about is one step further people should have access to these books people should have access to these articles scholars lay people anyone interested um uh, like for example um my first book was was of course as, as standard was my dissertation the vast majority of students at the oxford center for hindu studies uh, can't afford to buy the book right yeah so if they're interested i send them to the <laughs> to the to the dissertation which is downloadable online for yeah. free if they're in yeah. a situation where they can't afford it so we have this tension of course um uh, uh, there's so many directions and so many interesting things you just said what so what would be the role of the publisher? Okay, so for the sake of argument, just say for the sake of argument, respectfully, right? I am a functionary or I, 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 I run a publishing house, I'm responsible for a publishing house, uh, a, a respectable publisher um, who takes on the work of um, uh, uh, vetting proposals, of, of, of peer review, of marketing, you know, this vital instrument of getting the word out there and also ensuring that the the, the, the research is rigorous. Well, um, is such a one not entitled to be paid for their work 
or turn over a profit? I ask this for the sake of conversation, yes? Yeah. No, it is a very good question because this is also frequent criticism uh, in the entire uh, OA debate is that, you know, open access is something that is uh, intended to damage or hurt publishers or uh, to devalue their um, their work. and uh, But this is not at all the case. This is a misrepresentation of things because clearly work uh, deserves, uh, you know, to be paid fairly. This, this, there is no discussion about that, I, I, I hope. <laughs> um, so people should get their money uh, if, they, if they work. Uh, there, there can be no doubt about this. And um, we have this in our Fair Open Access Manifesto as well. Um, those who work, you know, those who do the work, it should get the, um, what to say, uh, the, the credit that is due, right? So both financially or in, in, in way of being, you know, just being mentioned uh, in some way, they should, there should be, it should be very clear uh, who did what and, uh, you know, uh, who did what and for what purpose and um, perhaps also whether they got paid or not. And the same is, of course, also true for publishers. And also, if, uh, if you are a, uh, the CEO of a publishing house, um, you should, under these circumstances, um, make transparent um, what you pay people for, what your publication house actually did. Um, with uh, any publication, like editing, organizing the peer review, uh, archiving is another issue, marketing, all those things, uh, some, some you, you did mention. So all of this should be clear. And especially when it comes to um, negotiating prices or, or giving the prices uh, and uh, for open access publications, you know, for their production, not for buying them, obviously. Um, it should be clear what you're paying for. Currently, the case is more often that you have, uh, you know, um, uh, lump sum, I think. You know, you have just one one number of, of dollars or euros or pounds and that sort of is supposed to cover it all. And in, inside this often very huge number, there is um, the, the actual work that is being paid, archiving and so on. And also a huge part, which is only revenue and only uh, for profit, uh, which is not actually payment of work in any way, but it's hidden in that number. So it should be made transparent uh, what is paid, being paid for what. And it may, my, might also uh, differ from country to country, obviously. Um, you know, the salaries are different. Um, so that should be somehow, you know, one should, should be... Um, and understandable and transparent. So do you take issue with um, how much profit is being made or that any profits being made at all? No, I mean, why, why not make profit if, if, if great work is being done? That's, there, there is, I mean, how, how can one doubt it? But the, 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 uh, the amount, you know, it's, it's excessive, yeah. So it's like there can be up to a, 10 times as much as one would even uh, imagine uh, that is possible. So I don't have any numbers uh, at hand, um, um, but 
there are numerous examples where this this profit is just is just too much. You would never, you know, if you were a normal individual, um, you would never ever pay any work or pay pay any work pay any any person in the world for for uh, for work with this much uh, profit margin. If if you, I mean. You wouldn't, I think, really, because it's just too much. So the issue is that it is it has become, yeah, usury sort of, in in many cases, not in all. So if you if if you could wave a wand, then um, what would what would what would this look like? Ideally, what would be the role of the publisher in an ideal world, in an ideal situation? What, how would the publisher function in, in uh, fair and open access publications? Yeah, um, I mean, there are, several, there are several ways because there are also several types of publishers. So one could think of uh, a regular, if, you, if we're talking about a regular publishing house that is a company, uh, basically, um, they would, of course, continue to do the same things, uh, to provide the same services. Um, and they would make uh, transparent what they they what money they want for what, and they could also, uh, which could be a very important element uh, in this whole thing, uh, think about it more in terms of um, individual services because not often, uh, not always do you need all of the services. Very often, um, or I know of uh, many cases where uh, publishers, you know actually outsource a uh, lot, uh, much of the work to, to the authors, like uh, proofreading and um, uh, layouting and all that. So uh, a lot of this is actually done by other people than the publishing house itself. And that can also, you know, one can also turn this around and say, well, yes, that's okay. We don't, we don't do the editing. You just send us the book, but we will take care of marketing and archiving. So, uh, one could, uh, you know, offer individual services, not just yeah. If you want to publish with us, you have to, you have to pay this amount of money, and there is nothing left. Um, so that would be for for the for the regular company publisher. Then there are also other possibilities. Um, one could, and there are such things, again turn university publishers uh, into. I mean. Um, increase the number of, of university publishers. There are university publishers already. And so it would be, in that case, could be an in-house production. So a scholar of, of an institution, of a university, could simply go to their own university publisher and they would take care of everything. Um, so they, are in, they have, both have an interest to do things as efficiently uh, as possible. So to get the, 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 the work of their institution out in the world. So that would be another, another possibility. Now you're involved, uh, involved responsible for an interesting initiative of a fair and open access publishing. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the idea of the initiative is primarily to raise awareness because that is still what is missing most. And also to uh, provide, um, to, you know, create a link or sort of link between, on the one hand, those who um, would like to implement open access more quickly 
um, which very often uh, are not scholars. And on the other hand, uh, the scholars who often don't really, you know, don't really know why this is important or why this could be important. Why would they take care of this? They just want to publish uh, with the publishing house and that's it. So um, we heard also in conversation with um, one person involved in Vienna uh, in uh, uh, European Union funded open access initiatives. There are a lot of such things. Um, they they are they have a major problem and that is in getting in contact with with the scholars because they have no you know per se they they don't really have an interest or not do not necessarily need to have an interest in getting their their things uh, published open access um, because very often it also involves uh, additional work because they have to get the funding for the publisher um, the publisher demands fees and they, they need to organize, uh, you know, the, the, the transfer and so on and so forth. So it's additional work. And yes, yeah, scholars, as you know, are lazy people and they don't want to, to go through this effort. So, and this is quite understandable, right? Um, but then there is, uh, there are a lot of journals and even publishers for books, uh, which make it fairly easy to publish open access and which also, uh, have a certain uh, work uh, ethic, so to say, and they just work like regular, um, yeah, regular journals, regular publishers, uh, um, but they simply do not charge anything. And those are listed at, uh, on the web on the site of the on the website of the initiative. So one can simply go there and have a look at the journals and think about them as pop, uh, possible potential venues for one's publication. So the initiative is geared essentially to bridge uh, scholarly um, uh, potential uh, um, um, authors, right? Authors, researchers with existing open access forum. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, and it's also, uh, this also involves, um, you know, this is why we have this list of supporters um, because it also involves Mm, you know, how to say, in, in improving the image of open access because there are uh, a lot of, of um, you know, misrepresentations or, you know, half knowledge about uh, open access. And very often, even, it might even be the case that people think that this isn't as good as, as normal uh, publications because nothing's being paid, so it doesn't have a value. I mean, this logic is ingrained in, you know, many people's minds, clearly. Um, if something doesn't cost anything, it's not worth anything. And that, of course, cannot be true of uh, true scholarship. Um, so it's also um, to encourage people to, to uh, you know, go to a fair, fair uh, open access journal and to see that there is actually a lot of support for this uh, within the scholarly community, not only by institution, institutions and so on, uh, but actually by the scholars themselves, that they actually find it themselves important and that there is a, there is a justification behind it and um, you can go forward with it and perhaps publish in a journal which is not as prestigious as some other journal, but which is fair open access and uh, actually be feel safe that people in, in within our scholarly community will re respect it because they have heard about it before. 
so that is that is one 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 angle yeah it's yeah it seems to be a movement i mean in an ideal world it seems to me that prestigious um presses would make available some element of fair open access publication and that we folks know that or would be inclined to believe that <laughs> the work is vetted and quality top-notch work um in either case there's there's um there's just a massive shift occurring right in how yeah. we perceive publishing um, and that shift to my mind it's parallel to it's somewhat related to but not really but it's parallel to the shift in the perception of online education online courses um the shift of um uh, university uh, profs scholars teaching online whether for their institution whether for various other platforms that one can be involved in um and it's that it's that it's that the, the, the instinct or the stigma or the in the you know open access isn't serious, online education isn't serious, podcasts aren't serious, and it's it's astonishing. In the last couple of years, attitudes have really really changed in terms of um, uh, bridging, you know, what we do and um, this wonderful world, this wild west of the internet, and it's not such that the internet has to just have the junk food there could there should be good restaurants on the internet oh. as well right but it's the perception as you say if you know yeah. you click and you download it's available so what's it worth anybody can access it yeah so there's a huge shift i think a necessary shift happening i think in a generation um this won't really be a conversation anymore or at least it'll be a very different kind of conversation because that shift will have taken place but we're in the middle of a somersault right yeah and i think exactly. initiatives like yeah, initiatives like the one you are spearheading are important bridges to the inevitable. Uh, a number of scholars I've noticed have, a number of, of, of respected scholars have um, signed your petition, as it were. Yeah. Um, I think I even noticed the name of one Raj Balkan on there, but I have to double check. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did too. It's on the B, I know. <laughs> <laughs> So what's the future of this initiative? Where would you like to see this go? You know, what are next steps? Yeah, this is a good question. Um, I mean, um, it's on the one hand, um, I think it already does a very good thing by simply existing, even though um, it might appear that nothing, uh, not, lot, uh, not much is happening because it happens, you know, in people's heads before anything is being uh any word is being formulated because simply by having a look look at this at this page uh one can one is maybe you know there might be an influence towards a certain way of publishing and we could never detect that so uh the, a lot of work is already in the in the dark in the dark um i've been thinking about uh you know uh, promoting it perhaps a bit more but um i'm very reluctant to to overdo it uh, I mean, I'm really reluctant to, um, you know, basically get on people's nerves with, uh, you know, constantly sending messages. There is open access, this or that, because then it it's it's simply being ignored. I I, I am afraid. But one could do more. Um, what I would like to hope is that people would actually 
could refer to it um, as a as a reference when publishing fair open access themselves because that would promote it in the best way possible. So, for instance, when uh, writing a CV or submitting your publication list to, uh, I don't know, some funding institution, um, if you have a number of fair open access um, publications in your, in your list, uh, you could highlight this um, and uh, refer to, 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 the, to the fair open access uh, in South Asian Studies initiative uh, to show that this journal is generally, uh, I do hope generally, accepted as a fair open access um, uh, venue and that that is a good thing. So uh, I would hope uh, to make this possible. However, I have not yet figured out how to convince people to actually use this as a, you know, as a brand sort of and in what ways. Um, so that would be one thing I could imagine could work in the future. You know, get it on the web pages of the journals and so on. You know, in in many ways, um, it's how do I? I have I have a thought in my brain, but I can't find the words because it's subtle. In many ways, these things have a life of their own. Yeah. Um, such that um, a great example is this podcast. I didn't begin to begin to begin to imagine the shape it would have taken um, two or three years after starting. Right. And so just sort of getting the word out there, having this very conversation on the podcast, who knows who in the audience may yeah. think of what, who knows, you know, my sense is that this has a life of its own and you're just sort of a little bit ahead of the curve and pushing the envelope on a wave that's already happening or yeah. needs to happen. It is important. So I think, um, 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 you know, what we plan or don't plan either way we're sort of riding a wave and i think it'll come to you what the next step is when the time is right and um my my personal sense is that it is uh an important issue certainly for learners you know in many ways i'm a teacher first certainly for students it's very important um and also to our colleagues obviously who as you say want to have uh, materials at their fingertips because you know we have the technology for it we have the technical ability so why not leverage that in a responsible way so yeah it's really cool is there anything else that you wanted to say about uh the initiative or the larger issue of open access publishing anything else come to mind you wanted to touch on everything else um if I could only remember what I said in the past minutes, I would know what is being left. But uh, that is, I think, <laughs> I'm too much in, in, in the middle of, of, of talking with you. Um, no, well, it's one good. thing is, uh, uh, please do pay attention to it. And this also in, in close uh, editors of journals. Uh, please uh, be aware uh, that your, 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 you may have an entry on our webpage. And if you don't have such an entry, Please write to us. Don't think that there are any, I don't know, barriers. We are happy with everything we get. Uh, we will include it on the webpage if, if possible. I mean, and we, we've already received uh, uh, lots of, of, of messages and suggestions, but please continue to do so, um, so that this tool remains, uh, you know, a, a useful resource for, for, for all colleagues. So yeah, please keep uh, use it, use it, and promote it, and that would be the the, the only thing that that yeah. 
Excellent. Thank you for appearing on the podcast. Thank you very much, Raj. It was a pleasure, really. Excellent. So for those listening, uh, we've been speaking with Dominic Haas on an important initiative called the Initiative for Fair Open Access Publishing in South Asian Studies. There's a link in the podcast notes, a link that will take you to the list that Dominic was talking about. Uh, for all of you listening, um, um, authors, readers, publishers, check it out. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane, keep listening, and keep contemplating the future. Keep contemplating the future of publishing. Take care.